right, I'm gonna start. Oh, we didn't start yet. Why can I do the intro? Oh, okay. <laughs> but but are you are you recording? Yes, yeah, we're recording. Oh, so you could edit this in. Yeah, yeah, not easily, but yeah, I can. All right, I'm starting. Uh, stop singing so I get intro, please. Oh, but I like the Russian anthem. <laughs> it's a Soviet anthem, really. You got yes. like that. They just I mean, you, you, you hear that music, you want to hide. You know when you coming. <laughs> you hear the Russian anthem, you're like, where, where's the nearest fallout shelter? I do, I do, yes. Right? <laughs> countries are reflective in their anthem. <laughs> You're all Canada, and you're like, yeah, yeah kind of nice, but Russian, you hide from Russian anthem, you go to bunker. <laughs> I actually think the Italians have one of the best anthems in the world. I think. Yeah, you want to kick a soccer boy if they're Italian. Get on a horse and start going. You don't want to invade a country after an Italian. You want to watch a well, soccer? No, you want to sit down and have a glass of wine? Yeah, it's not. It's not an invade your country. The Russian anthem is, "You're gonna freeze me to death. <laughs> I am tough, and you will never beat me." That's the Russian anthem. See that you're born an Italian if you want your life to be great. See that you're born an Italiano. Your life will be great. From the moment you're a small bambino, you eat pizza, you drink vino. Then they make you roly poly. You get stuffed with ravioli. If your mama's a paisano, you will have the world on a plate. So see that you're born in Italiano and your life will be great. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Italian American Podcast. I'm your host, John Viola. Today I am joined by my partner in crime, the notorious POB, Pat O'Boyle. Pat, how you been? Um, we're alive. That's always a positive. Yep, that's a good update. So we're, we're already ahead of the game. We are. We're, we're starting. We're starting in the black. Uh-huh. And we, we got a really interesting show today because we have a guest on who, if you're a professional Italian American like us, or if you follow the Italian American community online, you probably know of his name and his business, and you know he's in our news recently. One of the more beloved Italian American businesses that's been impacted by COVID. I'm going to welcome to the show Nicola Oricuya from I Am Books in Boston. Nicola, welcome to the Italian American Podcast. Uh, hi, John. Hi, Pat. Thanks for having me on. It's a great pleasure. You know, we have uh, Sharon Leggio Falchuk, one of our listeners, is like your greatest fan ever. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I know. Sharon, this is, a, great. this is a shout out to Sharon. I've never met you, I've never been to your store, but I feel that I know you, and I feel the wonder that your store was because of, of the fountain of affection that Sharon has for you and for your wife and for the, the beautiful thing that you did for the New England's Italian-American community. Thank you, thank you. So for what you've done for them and what you've done for us nationally, I say thank you very much. And, oh, you know, I, and, and, and honestly, you know, it shows the power of you know, the word of mouth because now I, you know, I've gone on your website because I buy all Neapolitan cookbooks. I have a whole collection. And you really just had a, you had an absolutely lovely curated collection 
of books. So if you're out there, it's well worth the time to go on their site and to buy one of the great works that they have. Thank you. That's absolutely true. I uh, ordered some stuff in the beginning of COVID so that I could have some stuff during the downtime. You know, we were all aware of sort of supporting Italian American businesses and doing our part. And uh, I was very, very impressed by the selection. And, you know, some of these things you really don't even know exist because some of these works are particular to the Italian American experience. And uh, here's a place where they're curated for you. So a great way to deepen your knowledge and really enjoyment of our community. And so let's talk a little bit about how we got to this point. So Nicola, you came to the United States from Rome, originally to Chicago to be a part of Franoi, which is really one of the oldest and more established Italian American magazines in the country. What got you into that? What made you decide you wanted to participate in Italian American media? So we came from Rome in 2008, and I was a journalist back in Rome. And so I kind of wanted to pursue that line of work. Uh, I was really passionate about it. And so I did a master's in journalism while I was in Chicago. And while I was there, I was looking for, you know, just some jobs, something to do, um, some articles to write. And after doing some research before leaving for the States, um, I sent something like, I don't know, maybe a hundred emails or something to like all these newspapers and magazines in Italy saying, Hey, I'm going to be in Chicago. And, you know, so we're talking, um, like late 2007, early 2008. And mind you, by the end of 2008, Chicago and the name Obama was going to be all over the place. But, you know, back then nobody still really, um, thought that Chicago would be kind of in the middle of, uh, of the news cycle. So nobody responded, <laughs> except for one magazine in Italy saying, no thanks. <laughs> and, the only, and the only other response I got was from Franoi. And the editor there, Paul Basil, who was a d- very, very dear friend of mine, he said, yeah, when you, you, know, when you come down here to Chicago, uh, just give me a call and we'll set up a meeting and, and that's it. So one day in mid-April, uh, in the middle of a snowstorm, <laughs> snowstorm in the middle of April. I uh, took two trains and a bus because Franoi is like outside Chicago and Chicago is enormous. I mean, it's a trip. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I didn't have a car. Um, and I, I went and I met with Paul and Mary, who was the, the designer there. And, and we kind of hit it off and we said, Hey, yeah, let's start a collaboration. And my passion for Italian American culture and heritage started right there. Um, and I also tell this all the time to folks is when you're in Italy and you grow up in Italy and you go to, you know, like high school and you're studying things, there is absolutely no mention about the Italian American experience. So the immigrant experience is just, Hey, you know, millions of Italians left, uh, you know, they had a hard time. They went to South America, North America, Australia, you name it. And that's it. Boom. Close the book, close the, like whatever it is, a paragraph or two, in the chapter of a history book and you move on. Can I jump in there though? And I, I've had this discussion with people in Italy and I totally don't understand it because why God made me half Irish is that I'm first generation American born and my father. So my father was born and raised and came from Ireland as an adult. And Ireland is the exact opposite. So if you have an ounce of Irish blood, you're part of the tribe. And the Irish love to talk about how well the Irish have done outside of Ireland. And they see Irish people, you know, you could have had a great-great-grandfather who left Ireland in the 1600s, and you have one drop of Irish blood, you're part of the tribe. 
you know, they're so proud of what the Irish did in the United States. I often think they overestimate how Irish people feel. You have to remember something. The Irish prime minister, Taoiseach, which is the Irish word for prime minister, the Irish prime minister every St. Patrick's Day is at the White House. So on the most important national holiday, the definitive national holiday for the Irish people, the Irish prime minister goes to the United States to celebrate. Now, it's also because the, the American, United States is hugely important to the Irish economy, but it is so important to Ireland. The Irish national anthem speaks about people coming from across the seas, which is an euphemism for the United States, having fought besides the Irish born in Ireland to free the country. And I think part of it is Ireland is not like a class culture like Italy. I think A, Italians are embarrassed for their poor people. Um, I might be that the people who control the culture in Italy, it's a class society. You know, Italy had a very rough aristocracy who kind of treat their, a lot of the times, their, their subordinates as less than. The rich and powerful people in Italy um, have no idea what immigration is because they had money when Julius Caesar was in grammar school. That's been passed down. They have no idea what it's like to leave the country to, to have to work somewhere else because a lot of them it was considered socially unacceptable to work. You lived off the rents of your feudal lands that you had inherited. And I spoke to a good friend in Rome and he said to me, he feels, he grew up in the 50s, that Italian Americans were portrayed as buffoons because Italy trying to back out of their connection with Mussolini and making a really bad decision and getting involved in a war, World War II they should never gotten involved in, they blamed the Italian Americans for supporting the fascists. So like all oh, those, those ignorant peasants who went to America and made money, they sent the, the, the wedding rings and the copper and all the other stuff that supported the Mussolini regime. I have a lot of anger toward, toward Italy for this. How would Italy have survived but for all the money we sent back after the war? Where is our monument for our massive migration? And where is the acknowledgement that had it not been for us sending money back, and, and the Marshall Plan, they would have starved after the war. So that's, that's my take on Italy's complete lack of respect for Italian-Americans and the contribution that we did to, the, to Italy. But I'm done. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you on, uh, on several of those points. But I also think, you know, if we go and look at it in a broader context, right? I mean, we're not only talking about Italians who migrated to the United States. So we're talking about millions of Italians who migrate to South America, right? So Brazil, Argentina, Uruguay, you name it. You know, countless who went to um, Australia, including one of my great uncles. Um, so I think part of this whole thing is also the whole, you know, dichotomy between Italy as a national identity and then the various single regional identities, right? Because even then, for example, in Boston, where, uh, where I am, you know, there's a humongous Sicilian community. There's a very, very large Campana community, especially from the Abellino area. There's a large, for example, Calabrese community. But a difference I noticed from Chicago is in Chicago, there was a big Pugliese community. And here in Boston, I mean, I think I've, you can count on my hand how many <laughs> Pugliese I've encountered. So I think also that has something to do with it, meaning what they try to teach you at school is a national history, which is very important. Uh, but with the asterisk of, look, we're trying to build a national identity, but there's a lot of folks who leave. So we'll let you know that they left, but we won't let you know what happened. Yeah. So, so tell us what you found when you got here. You know, you come here and you know nothing about this community. What 
made you fall in love with this community in that experience? I have to say it totally blew my mind. Uh, it, it blew my mind, like how large the community was, how united it was and how proud it was really that that was sort of my real key to reading the Italian community is how folks were proud of their Italian heritage. Right. And it was something that you wouldn't see in Italy. Like it's funny, like it was, when you're in Italy and you're chatting with your friends, your family, there's always, everyone's like, ah, Italy sucks and this is bad and, the, you know, the government sucks and whatever. Yeah. Um, so you're, it's, it's like a constant, like, negative criticizing of everything, right? But here it was like the total opposite. It was like this immense pride and also all the initiatives that were being brought forward to show that pride. So you went from the, the feasts, something that I... Growing up in Rome, um, you know, I was not aware of really. I mean, I I knew like in some towns they had some traditions, but uh, just that whole thing it, it just opened my mind um, to how many were out there and and what was the tradition behind it. Um, and then all you know, everything that was connected to, to food and to so many other aspects of the Italian American community. But what I started being more interested in was the work that at Franoi was being done, which is, all right, you know, there are a lot of things that are out there, but there are also a lot of things that folks are not being made aware of really what it means nowadays to be Italian-American, right? And then you, you try to dig a little deeper. And the unfortunate thing, I think, is a lot of times folks haven't had the chance, haven't had um, the exposure to really the number of uh, of things that can make someone proud of being of Italian heritage, right? But if you dig deeper, if you if you're able to let folks know some of the nuances that are out there in, in history or uh, the music and uh, art, culture, you name it, um, I think people can even be even more proud. You know, it, it's incredible, and that, that's what really kind of stuck uh, with me with that work that was being done at Franoi. I thought it was brilliant because. Here is a magazine that's going out to passionate Italian Americans. The format's very like easy, so it's a quick read. But when you're done, hey, you've enriched yourself. Yeah. And so that was sort of what hooked me with that kind of professional angle um, of the, the Italian American world. And then when when I moved to Boston in 2010, what I noticed is that was missing. Yeah. So Boston didn't have a publication that was uh, that offered what Franoi offered. Uh, and so Paul at Franoi and me started working on uh, basically what became then the sister publication of Franoi, uh, which was Bostoniano. Uh, and, the, you know, the tagline was Boston's Italian American voice. And that's really what I've always wanted to do is I want to offer a voice to, to folks. And so that's sort of like that was my start, let's say. It's interesting because I oftentimes feel like here in what we call Italian America, you know, we have this great sense of pride. We have this sense of unity that in some cases is probably more so even than the Italian sense of unity, you know, underneath this tricolor flag that everybody identifies with here. And when an Italian arrives with whatever limited preconceptions they have about Italian America, primarily based on media, which is never favorable, um, I often find the same reaction, which is after a brief introduction, particularly in 
an enclave like the North End or in Chicago within the community, when you come in and are brought into the community right away and it reveals itself to you, we always say it's sort of like um, the mosquito in amber in Jurassic Park. You know, there's a there's a living history of Italy here that doesn't exist in Italy anymore. And it's very, very telling for Italians to experience essentially their own folk customs and traditions and uh, religious practices and recipes from the time of their grandparents or great grandparents. And on the same token here in the United States, we Italian Americans, you know, because the language was so hastily abandoned leading up to and after World War II, we have very little access back to modern Italy. And so in a, a publication like Franoi or Bostignano or the project that we'll get to talk about in a little bit in the bookstore, you have so much depth to fish in, you know, to, to share and, and breaking that language barrier. You know, for me personally, I can read slowly, slowly in Italian. And I try every time we go to get a book and make my way through it and translate and make notes and things. But when I find a book written in English on a topic that is uh, often undiscovered in English historical literature, it's a huge thrill for me because I have access to something that I'm passionate about in my own first language uh, on that rare occasion. So putting that stuff together, curating it both in a journal, but also eventually in a bookstore, you know, you're really building massive bridges and in a very, very wide river that doesn't have many bridges over it. What you said is, uh, is exactly right. There's just so much out there that has been explored and not explored in, um, in literature. And you know, it can be fiction, history books, academic texts, or even just, you know, children's books. This whole wide range of things that um, we could cover them with a magazine, but you're limited by space. Yeah. And um, what happened was it's the beginning of 2015. And I had a friend who had a business in the North End, which is Boston's Italian neighborhood, and still has uh, a very particular Italian feel to it and character. Um, I'm not sure there's many neighborhoods like that anymore left in the in the U.S. And um, so he had this business and, I, I, you know, chatting over coffee one day, he's like, I'm, I think I'm going to close the business. And I said, well, what are you going to do with the space? He said, I don't know. I'm just <laughs> but he still had six months on his lease. And I said, well, I'll take over your lease. <laughs> and I thought, I'll put in a bookstore. Now, mind you, I had never had a bookstore. I had no retail experience. I had no idea of what it meant to have a brick and mortar uh, reality. I knew I was going to do it. I just didn't know how I was going to do it. Like who was going to help me uh, financially, especially. So I was lucky enough to find my good friend, Jim Penzino, who is a little bit older than me. He's, he's retired now, but uh, third generation American and very proud of his Sicilian roots. And, you know, we're kind of having lunch and at the end of the lunch, he said, I'll help you out. And that's basically how it started. And that was, I'm talking about June of 2015. And we had to open in October. So I had to figure out how to put up a bookstore business uh, in a few months. But that really wasn't the problem, like how to find what to put in the bookstore. We opened at the end of uh, 2015, October of 2015. And as things progressed, I just kept on finding things and things actually kept on being published. And my thing was always this, if you're going to open a bookstore and you're going to say it's Italian American, right? For me, it was Italian American above all, 
Um, and I always made this distinction. I always told folks, it's not an Italian bookstore. Although we did sell, uh, and we still do, uh, sell books in Italian, both for children and adult, it was very important to make this distinction and say it's an Italian-American bookstore because the person I was trying to get in the bookstore, most of all, was an Italian-American person, meaning I wanted someone who could find something about their identity and discover more about it, you know, and that could have been anything from, oh, uh, do you have, I don't know, a book on the, uh, the immigrants from Veneto in, in Argentina? Yes, we do have that. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have a book on the influence of Italian newspapers in Belgium? Yes, we do have that. <laughs> uh, you know, it could have been really anything. Obviously, so many books written by Italian-American authors. Um, that was our other thing. So let's discover our heritage. But at the same time, let's also shine a spotlight on who's trying to put that heritage into literature, for example, into poetry or into fiction. Or uh, What I wanted to do with Iron Books was, first of all, as I said, offer Italian-Americans a place where they could identify and they could find their place but at the same time, offer folks who maybe had no idea what Italian-American uh, history and culture uh, entails or are just curious about it, give them an opportunity to really discover that and kind of dive in and maybe have a conversation and, or go to an event where they can really discover an angle uh, that they didn't know about before. So I, and, and that was another golden rule of ours, too. We didn't have, I mean, we had a few things that were more maybe like academic like, you know, um, the Godfather's influence in mass culture or something like that. Mm-hmm. But we would never have things that were purely Soprano style or Godfather style. Um, and that was kind of, you know, like an editorial choice, uh, if you want. Um, and, you know, that really, as I said, the bookstore was doing fantastic. There was no need for that to have a successful business. And same thing, you know, if you are to open, I don't know, a souvenir store, uh, but well, if I were to open, I don't know, an Italian-American souvenir store, just to say, uh, I would never uh, rely on that aspect uh, of Italian-American heritage and culture. I mean, I'm not denying that there is a part of it, right? Sure. But what I'm saying is, let's not focus on that. Yeah, I encounter that sometimes even with our our t-shirt designs and things like that, you know? I see these very, um, frankly, very lazy interpretations or themes that come out of shirts and souvenirs and novelties and things like that. And, you know, some of them just play to our kind of lesser angels. And yeah, I'm a big defender of the fact that we have to have a, an honest conversation about our history, whether it's, you know, good, bad, torrid, ugly, whatever. So I don't think putting the mafia in the closet and sort of ignoring it is, responsible from a perspective of cultural leadership but at the same time i don't think you need t-shirts where everything is in the godfather font or you know forget about it or take the cannolis and this and that like sauce versus gravy my favorite t-shirt pat gets so mad at the sauce versus gravy conversation you have no idea of how many people have come to us and have asked us do we say sauce or gravy Pull them out of your store. No, see, Pull I them hate, out of your store. I hate that question. I know you do. It aggravates me. But I think you're wrong because I think it's a teachable moment. I think the etymological history, and we had a whole episode on it that I think we did very, very well. For those who haven't gone back into the archive, it's still there and it's really worth a listen because 
most people who encounter it just scream at each other and sound like morons. And what we tried to do was study the etymological history of what style of cooking came to this country and when and to what regions. And so there is an interesting history in it. I hate the discussion because fanatics, they're like the Taliban of, of Italian uh, sauce <laughs> gravy. Like Dolores and, and uh, Rosella, they go from condescension to absolute dismissiveness. <laughs> I'm glad they're that I did. Like, like, yeah, I, I could say, well, then, oh, like, like oh, the peasants, the peasants <laughs> who've been here for a century say gravy. They didn't, they didn't listen to San Remo in 1990 live on, on UHF TV channel 3050 before we had the stuff on cable. We're real Italians because we called grandma with the jetone when we were in it. So then I, you can't have a conversation. They're terrorists. They, they are gastronomic terrorists. They can't, like, live and let live. And it's either their way or the highway. That's why I hate the conversation. So you want to have an intellectual conversation. They just want to, they want to bully me, the two of them, Dolores and Rosella. Fasano, you know, she never says two words. It's like, he's like the CIA. He has no, you have no idea what he's thinking about. He doesn't say, just stands there. He takes it all in. Rosella and Dolores tag team and they're source bullies. And that's why I can't have a conversation with them because they can't let us be us. But that's another conversation for another day. There was a book, you know, titled The Gravy Wars. Really? Yeah. I think it's out of print now, but uh, we, had, we had a few copies, yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You talk about out-of-print books, you know, I always felt like, um, like you mentioned, it's not easy to find a lot of these titles. You really have to dig. And a lot of the stuff that I found that I've really enjoyed has been out of print. I had to get it at a rare bookstore or on eBay or this and that. And I've always felt a great service to the community would be, um, I remember Barnes and Nobles years ago did like a revived classic line, like a Lost Treasures. And it was all reprinted and they had sort of curated what would be reprinted. And I, I always thought, coming up with an Italian-American imprint that could revive some of these out-of-print works and make them available again. I think there's an audience there. I think there's a lot of great stuff that's gone out of print that people just don't know exists, you know? Yeah, I mean, there are some Italian-American and Italian publishers in America. Um, you know, Italica Press, Bordighera Press, um, and a few others like Arba Sicula, who focuses mm-hmm. more on like Sicilian uh, books, but uh, I think you're right. There definitely is, um, you know, a market for that because there's a lot of requests. I think there's a lot of titles, great titles that have gone out of print. Um, and I think a lot of times the reason is, I mean, the reason why they haven't been successful is because, uh, you know, they aren't, it's hard to target certain titles, right? Yeah. So, okay. So you'll have the, for example, the gravy wars that we mentioned, uh, I mean, I don't know why it went out of print, but I'm pretty sure that, you know, when it comes to who your target audience is, it's prevalently going to be Italian-Americans, right? I mean, someone outside of the Italian-American community might find it, you know, kind of entertaining and they might buy it. But really, if you're Italian-American, you're like, oh, man, Gravy Wars, I'm going to pick that up right away, right? But if you don't target that audience, it's hard for that audience to know that that book is out there. 
because if you do walk into a like a Barnes and Noble, I mean they have a gazillion other titles that they need to push, and so obviously that whole Italian American theme is probably going to be pretty low on the priority list when it comes to a Barnes and Noble or an oh, Amazon. Yeah. You know, so because there's you know there's the hall all the bestsellers and you've got the the publishing world is like it's an all out war all year <laughs> to get a bit of visibility. You know, because I mean, I before going into the book business, I had no idea of the hundreds and hundreds of books that come out every week. To be honest with you, if I had to open a general bookstore, maybe now that I have five years of experience maybe I know how to do it. <laughs> but back back in the day, if I just had to open like a general bookstore, even if it was small, man, I think we would have tanked immediately because there was just so much to be, um, to run after, you know, like, okay, so there's, oh, okay, I have to get the, the, the latest Tom Clancy or Stephen King's coming out. And, um, you know, so in, so in our case, it was kind of a blessing also in disguise to have a very narrow focus because, when it came to title selection, I mean, we knew what we wanted and what we don't, we didn't want. So we never actually sold any bestseller. Um, mm. you know, anything that you see on like, I don't know, the New York Times bestseller list that from, you name it. Um, we never sold that. Like we never sell these, you know, now there's a lot of these political blockbusters coming out because right. we're in election season. And, and these are books that do really well and bookstores count on them because they sell well. And for bookstores, it's kind of a godsend because it kind of helps them, you know, balance out the budget. But we never, never, ever sold any of that. It, it was a decision. It was not the easiest of decisions because I could have said, you know, let's dedicate a corner to bestsellers, right? Mm. Um, but I always felt that we had to be very firm in our mission. Meaning you have one mission, try to stay as much as you can within that mission. So you would go into our cookbook section. We only had Italian cookbooks. You went to our travel section. You could only find books for traveling to Italy from north to south, wherever you wanted, but you wouldn't find a travel book to Spain right. or to Portugal. It's just Italy. Um, you know, you go to our children's section. We are children's sections divided in Italian um, books in Italian and books in English. And so you know, books in Italian is self-explanatory, but the books in English either the author or the illustrator are Italian-American or Italian. The story is about some Italian aspect. So there was always that connection. Fiction, same thing. So we had the translated authors, translated Italian authors. We had the whole Italian-American author section. And then we had a whole section of books set in Italy. So uh, we had a book um, uh, written by Salman Rushdie, mm. right? So he has nothing to do with Italy, but the uh, book was based in Florence. So we had the book. <laughs> um, so my thing was, if it has a connection, it can fit. And we, by the end of you know our fifth year, so uh, just before closing, I mean, we had run out of space. We didn't know where to put books anymore. Huh. So in the end, like there is stuff out there. And this was my burden was big for it, right? Yeah. Uh, because that was sort of my personal mission was, I want to find that particular gem, right? It's a great feeling to be able to give that to somebody. I mean, I know the joy when, you know, I live here in New York, I go to the Strand bookstore probably once a month. And the Strand is the probably the country's, I think, still largest uh, used bookstore. And 
you know, you go to Barnes and Nobles and like you said, there's a competition for space and there may be an Italian section in history. It might have John Hooper and uh, one or two others. But when you go to the Strand, there's an Italy section and it's it's usually got at least one or two new things. Some of them have been out of print for 50 years, but that I can pick up and bring home and my wife can tell me we have no more space. So it gives us that routine and that ceremony. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you build that library and you're right, it's like finding a gem. Um, in doing that, right, in staying so focused on the mission, in really making a very conscious decision that you're not going to have sort of a glut of content, even if it's the stuff that's low-hanging fruit for the for the sake of the business's bottom line. It's obvious that over these five years, you've created an immense well of affection within not just the Italian-American community in Boston, but also around the country. I think, you know, um, I wanted to ask you kind of, first and foremost, what you found most surprising about the reaction of the Italian-American community to your project, uh, what you found the most inspiring, but also how you saw the idea of the modern Italian business uh, returning to Little Italy. Did you see an effect on the community as a whole? Because I oftentimes find when Italians decide to come to the United States in the numbers that they're coming now in particular, they don't really think about necessarily looking at living or investing in the historic Italian enclaves. But when they do, you oftentimes see a very unique symbiosis. I know businesses in Bleecker Street that have opened or uh, on Arthur Avenue, new restaurants. And there's this really nice coexistence. And I think you're one of the pioneers of that. So first and foremost, what surprised you about the Italian-American reaction? What was the biggest takeaway? And then what did you see your impact on the community? Yeah, I think the two, you know, the two questions sort of go together. Um, the response was pretty incredible from the get-go, I have to say. Although when we opened the bookstore, there wasn't any like grand plan. You know, we didn't sit down at the table and say, okay, look, the, these two by four uh, square feet are going to be, you know, the travel section. I mean, it was just like, okay, let's go in. Uh, here's going to go a bookcase. I think we should put the cookbooks there. And I think really what drove some of the employees totally nuts is that sometimes I just walk into the bookstore and say, okay, guys, I've had a dream. The travel section has to move across the store, children's section at the back. Let's go. Let's do it. (laughs) They got used to it after a while, but it was like, oh man, all right, here comes Nicola again with his crazy ideas. But, and in a way that that kind of uh, growth happened in the community as well. So as we grew, the community grew to appreciate what we were doing. And the more we tried things, the more they understood it. Uh, because I think with Italians, it's, it's funny because we guard ourselves before we are too enthusiastic about something, right? Usually Italians are like, all right, let me see what it's about. And then, you know, yeah. if I see if I, you know, if I like it, all right. And then, you know, once they embrace you, that's it. That's like family. Um, and I think in the beginning, Many people didn't understand maybe what we were doing, myself included. You know, my philosophy in life is kind of take it a day at a time. And with the business, it was like that. And what I really think brought us over the top when it comes to having the community embrace us was how much we we really tried. <laughs> I think that in the end, they really understood. Meaning if we had just been a bookstore sitting there and, you know, people would come in and find all the books they wanted. Sure, that'd be great. But I think the event aspect of the bookstore is what really then put us um, 
in a favorable favorable position with almost everybody. Uh, almost because you know we're, we're Italian, so not everybody can be pleased all the time. But <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, but I think when we started really pushing hard on events and having not only authors come present their books, but we had musical concerts, we did theatrical performances. And mind you, this is a space that probably legally can hold like 15 people. <laughs> we had a concert with six musicians and 56 people wow. inside the bookstore. I mean, we had people like almost standing on top of each other. Um, and so that was, you know, very Italian of us. Like we probably broke a lot of fire <laughs> and things, but, um, but people were okay. It was like, it's, it's fine. It's, it's, you know, there was this atmosphere of, yeah, you can kick back. Like you can come to one of our events and no matter, you know, it might be a super serious event. You know, we're talking about something extremely serious or it can be just something fun. Like we had, uh, we had this annual appointment with, uh, a group of musicians here in the Boston area, they would do uh, covers of Italian 50s, 60s, 70s songs, you know, the classics. And it was always like one big party. And, and there was, I should probably, probably shouldn't say this on the air, but there was wine going and there was <laughs> food and stuff. And uh, because in the end, it was like, we, we want to have a good time and we want to have this feeling of family, like you're in a house. Right? Yeah. It's like if you go into an, any Italian, Italian American home, there's that unique feeling, right, of, of being in, around the table and uh, enjoying, you know, some time together, even if you see each other maybe once a year, right? Yeah. But when you do it, it's, it's family time. And that was so gratifying for me to, you know, be able to give people that opportunity. Um, and that's also when I also understood that we needed something maybe an annual event that could bring people together in one bigger place and just have more people because people need to interact. People need to be in touch. Uh, and it's, it's so strange to say, you know, nowadays that unfortunately we're all forced um, to stay away from each other uh, because of the pandemic. Uh, but another, I think another reason why we didn't feel like we wanted to st- stay open physically for the time being is because that whole part of the experience, the part of being together in a place, being able to exchange a few words, you know, and that would not have been possible. And I didn't want, I didn't want a bookstore that was just a bookstore. You know, there you go. You have books on the shelves. Perfect. Yeah that's part of the allure of a lot of these businesses in, in these enclaves and beyond is that, like you say, it's about the Italian family experience. It's a clubhouse. It's a meeting point. It's a cultural hub. It's a, a safe zone where you can go and embrace and explore and learn your heritage and uh, being able to interact makes such a difference because you can buy anything online right now, but you cannot find your culture and the touchstones of your culture, because, you know, that's what made me fall in love with NIAF when I was a teenager. I hated the event. I say this all the time. The event was boring as heck. But when I got upstairs and the after party started and there were people playing the piano and singing Italian songs like I did with my grandparents, I felt like I belonged. And that belonging you can only get in personal interaction. So a lot of these stores are experiencing the same thing. A big part of their appeal is their presence as community leaders. And you talk about the fact that you made the decision ultimately uh, recently that you were going to 
sort of shutter the brick and mortar for a little while, go online, see where this pandemic takes us. I know you had a farewell event for the actual physical store. And uh, what was that like for you? And, and where is the project going in the future? Well, the closing has been very emotional, I have to say, um, you know, because Iron Books has been part part of my life for the, <laughs> sorry, I'm getting emotional even as I talk about it, but it's been part of my life for the past five years. And really the work uh, that's been put in, um, that's part of it. But really what, what I'm going to miss most for the time being is that personal interaction with people. Being able to see folks really be happy. It's not like any other business. I mean, I don't know. I've never run other businesses, but I can imagine, you know, if I go, I'm going grocery shopping, I mean, I'm happy I'm buying groceries, but I don't think I always have a big smile every time I walk out of the grocery store. Yeah. <laughs> Unless I'm buying like mortadella. <laughs> but, uh, um, but most of the time when, you know, folks would walk out of our bookstore, they had a big smile on their face and that was a big part of it. So um, I think for us, the, the real key here during these hard times is to try to try to stay afloat and try to really be in a position where we can come back, come back, you know, better than before. Uh, Cause we do have our five years of experience behind us. Uh, we have a community behind us and we have a whole, whole wide range of support. And so I feel confident that we can do it. I just don't feel confident, you know, doing something physical right now. Sure. Just because people don't, you know, a lot of people don't feel safe. And I understand that. And I think we have to respect that. And, and you know, and so that's just the, the way things are right now. Um, online, what I would like to do is keep on that mission. So the bookstore obviously has that curation that we were talking about, and you will find that online. Uh, but we also want to keep on doing something from the event standpoint. Now, there's a lot of events that are going on, like on Zoom and, and things like that. But I don't think we should push too much. Um, there's a lot of fatigue. Yeah. Uh, having an event on Zoom is not the same thing, obviously, as having an event in person. You switch from the going to a place to be with others and, you know, maybe ha have a nice chat after the event to it's just the event. So I, I go on, there's a lecture or a talk, that's it, closed. Yeah. It's a very, it's, it obviously has its purpose, uh, but I don't feel that we can offer what we were offering the bookstore. So what we're looking into is offering things that are different. So we're actually working on our own podcast right now, <laughs> uh, which we hope to launch pretty soon. Uh, and that's going to be focused on what we've been doing all this time. So, you know, uh, Italian-American literature, um, Italian literature translated and, and things like that. So everything pertaining to that kind of world, uh, but still within our kind of angle. Our, our angle. Um, and we, uh, so we definitely want to want to do that. Um, as I said, closing the store was emotional, but I also think it was the right thing to do um, at this time. Um, because otherwise we, we would have risked getting ourselves, um, in hot water, meaning, yeah. you know, you have to pay the rent. If you have a place, you have to pay the rent and you need to make sure you cover those costs. Um, I have to say when I walked into this whole thing, 
I wasn't as good of a business person as I am now. I have my business partner, Jim, to thank for that because he owned several businesses before and he was always, he'd always be like, no, Nicola, no, wait, before you take that, make that decision, let's run over the numbers. <laughs> uh, and so, and so that was just, it was, in the end it was emotional, but it was the right thing to do. Nicola, what yeah. have you learned about the Italian American community from having this business? What, what you didn't know about us as a people that we kind of surprised you now that you're very much part of the fabric of the New England Italian American community. So uh, I had touched upon this aspect with the Bostoniano slightly. And then with the bookstore, I really uh, understood it in a wider sense. The Italian American community, even then, there are so many layers to it. It is incredibly layered. And what I think we were able to do was find one meeting point for the extremes and everything in between. I think the extremes are the Italians like me who have come here recently and the you know third, fourth generation Italian Americans, right? These are the extremes and then you have everything in between. Mm-hmm. And the incredible number of layers that are between the, these extremes uh, sort of always float in their own category, let's say in their own lane. What I really found interesting is that the Italian American community always strives towards something, right? What always hits me is that Italian Americans are always proud about something, right? They're saying we're striving to be something, but there's this something, right? Which is not, uh, how to say, there's not like a concrete thing. Uh, And so everybody kind of, hangs on to a few things, a few uh, concepts that have been maybe brought down from their parents or grandparents, whatever it is. Like we were talking about the sauce and gravy thing before that, just to name one, but you know, it can be like, Oh, okay. Uh, what's your t- being Italian? Oh, it's Sunday dinner. Okay. Perfect. Uh, what's your, you know, why are you proud? Of- oh, because I'm from, uh, I'm Sicilian and you know, uh, the rich history of Sicily. Perfect. But then it would always be like, like there was a longing for more. Uh, like I'm Italian American. I'm so proud of it. And you know, and 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 then the conversation couldn't continue too much because there just wasn't. They they had never had exposure. And for you know, I I'm the first one to not have all that exposure. So I, I had to learn, and I still learn uh, every day um, because there's just so much out there. But so. That's what always kind of hit me is there's an extreme pride and sometimes it's almost like a blind faith, right? It's a blind faith in your pride for being Italian. Um, Like no matter what, I can have that to rely on, you know? And this this thing, this pride, um, and this almost um, blind faith um, in, in your identity is what um, is met all across the range. So between the two extremes, everybody has this pride and this willingness to go into it more and understand it more. Um, that's, that's, I think, what has struck, stricken me more, most of the Italian-American community. Yeah, Pat Harrison, the chairwoman of NIAF, calls that the secret sauce 
our secret power, you know, that, that sort of blind faith acknowledgement that our Italianness uh, gives us something and there's more to be explored and more to be had and more strength to be taken from it. And I think that's what unites everybody. That's very well said. Um, on that note, before we go, what would you recommend to the neophyte looking to explore the Italian American community? Just one book that you would recommend. What's your favorite book on the Italian American experience? Oh, that's a loaded question, John. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm going to get authors uh, upset and publishers <laughs> upset. <laughs> I know. We try to do that here. It's very hard. I understand that. Um, it, it depends. I think I, I, there's actually two answers to that question. I don't think there is one one generic like tome. Uh, there's a few out there, but you know some of them are very academic, and I wouldn't like recommend them to like the general reader who wants something easy. I mean, there are great books, for example, like um, uh, you know that PBS series they did a few years ago, Italian Americans, right? Yeah, sure. Um, so so the, the book version is is very nice. That's I, by I Maria Larino. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a very nice introductory text. For example, if someone wants, it's also a, a hardcover. It's almost like almost a coffee table book. Yeah, it's a beautiful book. Um, and, and so it's a nice book. For example, if you have guests at home, and like, oh, you're you're you know, oh, you're Italian American. So what's so cool about that? And you're like, oh, here's a book. Yeah. <laughs> uh, while I go make dinner, you take a read. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I think that's a very nice sort of general text if you want, but if you are tied as i imagine everyone is to their community um for example I, uh, we have an author who who lives not too far from us gina fava um she's from buffalo and and then i went and looked into it and there's a book on the italian american community in buffalo so i had to order it <laughs> <laughs> but um for example the arcadia publishing group they do an amazing job stephanie actually longo who works with you guys um i think she has a couple of books with with arcadia she sure does yeah. um and they do an amazing job because uh they really open their doors to um to authors to explore more the community in your area so i would definitely suggest folks to look into the arcadia books they're really some of the things they have are really really particular so yeah I, I even i who've done this for a living for 10 years plus i don't think i can keep a catalog in my mind of all the arcadia books on the italian american experience they must have new ones coming out every week and you know the italians of delaware and the italians of west virginia and italian immigrant theater it is it's a great resource so good recommendation that alone would be a great episode yeah you're right trying to figure out what everything everything yeah we should do that the Arcadia books. I mean, there's so many of them. We build the catalog from Arcadia. Yeah, we built. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're gonna have to make that a project that we do with IM Books. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I hope um, you know. I hope I can be back even for just five minutes when we reopen. So. <laughs> oh well, listen. We've got the video. You know, one of our one of the sad things about this, honestly, for me, um, is I never got to come to the bookstore because I've been such a fan of what you're doing, and uh, we went into quarantine the day we arrived back from new orleans filming two episodes of uh, greetings from italian america and on the flight home we laid out our schedule of where we'd want to go and uh our first trip was going to be a swing to the west coast to do three or four episodes and then we had planned in uh feast season to come up to boston and obviously you know as we built our itinerary of where we had to go i am books was top of the list and it kills me 
you know, we'll get back to producing content and getting to explore the corners of the country in this great Italian American footprint. Um, but it kills me that we didn't get up there. So my prayer for all of us is that when this thing settles and uh, we go back to normal life and we can film these episodes again, we'll be coming up to a new and improved and exciting uh, iteration of this great project of yours. So I have all the faith in the world that we'll be together again one day in the next iteration of I Am Books. And until that point, how can our listeners find you online and support the project and keep it moving forward? All right. Well, we have a lot of witnesses here. Okay. So people have heard you when we reopen, you're coming down. I'll be, I will, you, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not big enough Italian American to cut the ribbon, but let me hold maybe the scissors beforehand. I'll be there. <laughs> um, no. So um, all jokes aside, folks can find us uh, online now. Um, our website is I am booksboston.com. And I always tell people the I am actually stands for Italian American. Um, so when people, you know, realize that they're like, Oh, the play on words. Yep. <laughs> so, but anyways, uh, we're on online. I am booksboston.com. Uh, you can also follow us on social media, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and, uh, and you know, anything you need really, um, our motto now is yeah, if it's in print, we can get it to you. Um, if it's in Italy and you need a book from Italy, uh, send us an email, give us a call. We can get you the book. Uh, but even if it's here, um, now we've kind of um, opened our doors to, to really anything, anything, any book you need. Yeah. Just give us a call. Well, we say all the time, Pat loves to champion the idea that we support the tribe and we shop local. And when we say local, we mean Italian American. And so Nicola, thank you very much for coming on. We really appreciate it. God bless you for all you've done for the community. And hopefully in the future, we at the Italian American podcast will get to be even more of a part of, uh, of this great work and your vocation here. So keep up the good work and we're looking forward to. And thanks for coming on. It was a real honor. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, John. Thank you, Pat, for having me on and uh, sempre avanti. Uh, absolutely. So for all of us, the Italian American podcast, you got your instructions, go out and buy some books and uh, read more about your heritage. It's a great story all around. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back with you next week. See that you're born an Italiano 